Hey everyone, this is Cassius Villachilla, and you're listening to Homeroom, a podcast where we interview up-and-coming founders running some of the most innovative technology companies in the world. Our guest today is Chris Benatti, the co-founder and CEO of Bedrock AI. So Bedrock AI uses natural language processing to extract red flags from financial statements. Chris has been on the program before, so it was an honor to welcome her back. And without further ado, let's jump into the episode. Okay, that yeah. sounds complicated. So I will ask another question. <laughs> one thing I have, Kate, I'd like your opinion on this because I have a hunch about how the finance industry is changing a little bit. I was speaking to not not the dean of Queens, but the associate dean not too long ago. And I said, look, I think one of the big shifts that we're going to see in finance is a transfer from not business majors being recruited, but math majors, physics majors, and computer science majors. Because they're the ones who really understand the numbers. And because you're so close to the action working with this industry, how have you seen it change? Is my hunch correct? Is it presumptuous? What do you think? Yeah. Um, you know, I think your hunch is on point to some extent um, and not in some ways. So a couple points there, just the financial industry is you know, in some ways, super, super innovative. You've seen high-frequency trading, um, optimization. You know, those types of firms are already um, recruiting the cream of the crop when it comes to, you know, math majors, et cetera. Um, but in general, I would say finance, capital markets, compliance, regulatory is really behind the eight ball um, when it comes to, adopting software. Um, but that's not just, I mean, part of that is there's no open source community uh, in finance. Knowledge sharing isn't a thing. Um, people things really close to their chest. So the pace of innovation is a lot slower. Um, and because of that, there's just not a lot of, you know, there's what, what, we find challenging hiring to our own team is, you know, if we um, hire someone who's really great on the ML side, really great on the stat side, whatever it is, and they don't understand the finance side at all, um, it's, it, you know, you, you have to understand the, da- the data in order to create a product that works. And if you don't have both sides, it's problematic. Um, so I think, you know, um, we're just at the outset of discovering um, how to create professionals who can work at the intersection of software, machine learning, and capital markets. Right. So how do you typically recruit for those roles then? Because most of my audience is 18 to 25. Um, I tried to get Queens to use this. It did not work. And I apologize for that. But um, Queens did actually reach out. So um, Really? Yeah, maybe it did work. Perfect. Okay. <laughs> I, my word has some say. Okay, cool. Um, well done and thank you. But no, but that's a genuine question. Like where, you know, hiring is kind of this paradox because on one hand, it's the one thing students worry most about trying to find that world-class career, but it's also the one thing companies will spend an inordinate amount of resources on. Yeah. How do we go about hiring? It's, 
Well, how do you out. think about hiring? How do I think about hiring? Um, the thing that I have learned as a as someone hiring uh, through the process is people who know the basics um, are a lot more valuable, who know the basics really, really well, are a lot more valuable than people who can um, name every recent AI research paper. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, But, you know, and, you know, this is maybe less applicable to other industries, but right now, and well, not right now, for many, many years in data analytics, data science, machine learning, there's a lot of hype. Um, and there's a lot of people who are showing up to a job interview expecting um, this magical environment where they have perfect data and just hit this button. Um, yes. Yeah. So, we really think about trying to find uh, the people who aren't don't necessarily have fancy credentials, um, haven't gone through every single boot camp and memorized X, Y, Z, uh, but who really, really know the basics well and have um, the ability to learn quickly which is probably not at all helpful to anyone listening to this uh, podcast, but it's. No, but it, but it, but it's helpful. Cause I think a lot of people, like one thing that I always remember from <clears throat> going to Queens was, Hey, you know, the CFA is a, in a lot of respects, your way in, into finance. I remember being told that a lot. And it sounds like that's not the case with a lot of this tech stuff. There isn't this kind of credential that you have to slap on your resume or like a three-letter acronym to actually get the gig. It's way no, harder. Is I there mean, a way yeah. to train? Is there a way to train intuitiveness? I forget the <laughs> word, but uh, oh man, it's the ability to learn on your own. I can't remember the word, but yeah, I don't know. And I mean, we autodidactic, autodidactic. Sorry, there me it is. too. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, we have people working at Bedrock AI who you know don't have university degrees or, you know, and people who, they're not very many people who work at Bedrock AI, so I should stop outing people. Um, But, uh, you know, I mean, and people who don't necessarily interview super well, but, um, you know, as a startup, um, I think we do a pretty good job at looking past people's credentials and finding those diamonds in the rough, so to speak. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, that's hard. And that's something I suffer with too. Like, I'd be lying if I didn't kind of scout out the Bay Area founder that, you know, has these crazy names attached to it. Um, That's a skill, honestly. Um, Are you... You're you're forced to when you're not able to pay $400,000 a year. (laughs) I mean, I don't know. At the end of the day, like... What's going to keep people going is, you know, what they're working on. Money certainly helps to a certain yeah. extent, but... Oh, yeah. and I mean, a f- huge help for us for hiring is just relying on Suhas's reputation. Um, mm-hmm. Absolutely. Okay, so you guys are based in Toronto. Um, I'm sure you work with U.S. clients. I'm sure you, with it, clients in Asia and Europe as well. Uh, what, it, what is the scene like in Toronto? I, I lived there for a little while, but 
I think people would be curious because you are seeing a bit of a dispersion from the Bay Area into, you know, I mean, Shopify has always existed as kind of this Canadian, um, uh, like, achievement, if you will, in tech. But what's your take on it? Well, according to the New York Times, our tech scene is quietly booming. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, I think... Oh, I also recently got an email from an investor telling me that they're investing in emerging cities. So they're, they want to talk to me. I was like, you do know we're the fourth largest city in North America. I'm not sure we're emerging. Um, But yeah, no. um, (laughs) I think the the tech scene is, um, yeah, is going to continue to, to boom. Um, we have more AI talent per capita than any other, you know, city in the world, potentially. Oh, fact check that. Um, but, you know, even higher than places where you expect, um, like cities in China, etc. Mm-hmm. Um, and also the expectations around sal- salary are a lot lower yeah. um, than Silicon Valley, which makes it easier um, to run a business here. Um, obviously our, you know, Toronto is a financial hub for Canada, but not really, um, for the world. Uh, so a lot of our, our customers are in New York or London. Um, um, I will likely be spending a lot more time there going forward. Like traveling there and stuff like that. Yeah. Nice. Okay. Well, do you like to travel? Maybe not. I like New York City, so. You like New York City? Okay, cool. Um, In our last call, I remember you told me the story of you calling your dad and saying, hey, I just landed this big client. I can't even believe this is happening. So what have been some big wins recently for Bedrock that you can talk about? One thing that's been super cool is we got um, a grant to work with the Australian Securities and Investment Commission, so the Australian equivalent of the Securities Exchange Commission, and we did a feasibility study with them. Um, And now we're competing for a million-dollar grant out in Australia. Why that's exciting is not just, you know, that project in general, but um, it's opening up the doors for us uh, for the regulatory technology side of our business. Um, which, you know, is just, it's huge and it's so impactful. Um, you know, these are the, the agencies that are responsible for making sure investors don't get completely fleeced. And, um, you know, there's a big need, in my opinion, for a software-based approach in market regulation. Um, and we're super, super excited to be working in that space, being able to work with people at these agencies, uh, develop tools they need. Um, yeah, that's awesome. Well, let, let's talk about the, the tech more broadly, like AI, ML, NPL, all the, or NLP, all this kind of, all these kinds of things that are very new at the end of the day. Is there any particular projects that you admire from afar? Um, open AI has obviously been doing a lot of stuff, but is there anything that kind of keeps you intrigued in the space beyond just the work you're doing? A really cool thing uh, or project that's out there right now, uh, Suhas is uh, working on the big science project, uh, which is led by Hugging Face. A bunch of uh, well-known machine learning researchers are involved. 
Uh, Sue Haas is the co-chair of the privacy working group. Uh, But what they're doing more generally is uh, developing an open source alternative uh, to GPT-3. They've made a ton of progress. They're really focused on um, some of the limitations of the open AI models around bias around privacy. It's really, really cool and really important um, because OpenAI's whole shtick was, hey, this is open. And ultimately, right. <laughs> you know, <laughs> what it, the shoe dropped and they had to make money and it's not. Um, but, you know, it, I, so I think it's, it's really awesome that Big Science is working on this and that they're paying attention to some of the major failings of large language models out there. You, you mentioned privacy and things of that sort. Um, is this, in your experience, has this been a bit of a concern in the AI community, the people that you've worked with, or is that kind of, is it a bit on the back burner at this point? So I think most people who are really involved in machine learning research and AI research are involved in or are aware of the bias of large language models, the bias um, in most machine learning methodology. Um, What I continue to find amazing is, um, and I think this is partially because products are sold not by people who are doing machine learning research, not by people who are really involved in the details, but by people who want to get the product sold. Um, so people on the other end, people who are buying these tools, are still referring to machine learning and models, AI, et cetera, as an unbiased option. Um, you know, like the way these models outperform is, you know, they're unbiased, whereas humans aren't. And in in, in bias um, can mean a whole bunch of different things, not necessarily racism or sexism or bias like that, but, you know, machines have biases and they tend to amplify any underlying human bias. Um, So almost always a machine learning model, a language model is going to be more biased than a human being, not less. Um, So it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's crazy to me that people are still using that wording. Is it a bit, is this something you worry about? Like the people that someday you might recruit to sell bedrock AI like there is such a difference in the amount of knowledge that you or Suas has versus the actual like SDR on the team. Because if if I was an SDR, I'd be like, yeah, this is sick. You, you know, just throw your 10K into it and you'll find every problem with it. It sounds awesome. But again, I'm non-technical. I wouldn't know the nuances that go into building such a f- sophisticated model. Do you think that's something that people should pay more attention to? Is that something you think about? What's your take on it? From from the perspective of our product, well, I there are obviously so the biases of our model we train using SEC enforcement actions. So the bias of the SEC is baked into our model, etc. Um, also, we're using exclusively public information, so there's less of a worry about the personal information or a right. specific bias against a human. Um, so 
generally lower stakes. Uh, but that said, uh, we do we are working on highlighting uh, the strengths and limitations of our own models a bit more obviously on our platform. Um, you know, one thing that our users don't always understand is that our models are pretty bad at math. <laughs> um, and because we're working in a financial space, that's and we are focused on the qualitative aspects of financial right. disclosure. Um, but it means that our models will make mistakes when thinking about materiality or timeliness. Um, and those are the types of uh, ways where, where we face limitations. Um, and definitely, it's not always easy to convey that through a, a user interface. Got it. Okay. And is that something that even investors understand? Has it been difficult kind of explaining these kinds of things? Or do the customers that you've acquired speak for itself? I think our uh, generally our investors are pretty knowledgeable about the space. Okay. That's cool. <laughs> what has it been like raising? So we raised a seed round coming out of Y Combinator. We have October of 21 is what the okay. last time we chatted. So we would have just been wrapping up our round at that point. We haven't raised since then. Um, we're in a pretty good uh, position. So not looking to do that anytime soon. Um, but it's interesting, you know, I, I, when I talk to other founders in Toronto who are raising, they're saying they're having a really tough time, um, which I, yeah, it def I believe I see notes from our investors saying, you know, we're not, there's nothing new coming out in the next six months, but we're still getting weird emails about only investing in emerging cities. So there's definitely some people <laughs> out there looking to make investments. <laughs> <laughs> oh bad. Like the, the US bias is good, but also like not great in some respects. So that makes sense. Yes. No, but it, in this third world country of Canada. Yeah, exactly. But I, I think I think to your point, the reason why you haven't raised is because you're building like such a good product that you know people are willing to pay for. Like that is the goal <laughs> at a certain point. Like people, that is why like, you build businesses, yeah, it turns I, out. Yeah. No, exactly. Like, I feel like there's a lot of like sexiness to a raise and like the TechCrunch article. Like, I think I'm not too sure if you saw the Gary V thing, like his crypto NFT project just raised a $50 million seed round. Like, crazy, crazy numbers, right? So, yeah, I, I, I think it's probably a good thing that you guys are kind of like not doing that. Yes. And that's a great part of Y Combinator is that they, um, they beat into like your valuation is meaningless. Yeah. <laughs> Don't focus on fundraising, focus on your business, make money. How do you, how do you do that though? Cause it's easier said than done. <laughs> how do you make money? <laughs> no, 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 not make money. How do you, no, no, not make money. Oh, how oh. do you focus? How do you turn off all the noise? That is social media. That is people whispering your ear saying, did you hear what this person did or what valuation that person got? Right, right, right. And, you know, I do um, more and more these days. I find myself hanging out with other founders. Um, so it's definitely, it's a slippery slope wanting to go. <laughs> oh, I got a check from SoftBank. Um, no <laughs> yeah. longer the same. Uh, but anyway, um, yeah, I think for me, I've never, um, I've always wanted to 
build a business that made money. Um, and now that the market's tanked a bit, that's become a lot more socially acceptable. Um, but I think for me, you know, I got into this business because I saw a market gap. I, this is a problem I'm really passionate about corporate accountability through information transparency, solving information overload in finance. Um, so, you know, <laughs> that part of the business is way more important to me than my cred as a founder. Um, You know, if my customers, I'm obsessed with my customers. I want my customers to like me. I don't care that much about my peers. Right, right. Do you think people can tell that? And the reason I say is because you said that when you went through YC, I think it was even Michael Seibel that was like, you really need to work on your pitching. But at the same time, like this is something that you're deeply passionate about. You don't really give a shit if, you know, you're on the front page of like some Forbes 30 under 30 list. Like you're going to do this regardless. And has that kind of been like an advantage for you with speaking to people and selling? Hey, I'm not sure. I don't have anything to compare against. But what I will say on the pitching side is I've gotten a lot better at that, um, partially with the help of, of YC. Um, yeah, fundraising, talking to customers. Turns out it just takes practice. Yeah, yeah. 100%. Yeah. Okay, well, let's talk about you know more of the personal side. You, we, we were talking before the call. You're really into like endurance sports, marathons. What have you been doing in that category? I'm not into marathons. I am into endurance sports. Maybe ski, <laughs> okay. cross-country ski marathons. Yeah, I don't want to... Let's not uh, sp- spread fake news here. Um, <laughs> yeah, um, I've been running a fair bit. I'm training for the Spartan Beast, which you know everyone thinks is super lame, but I'm really excited about. It's 21K half marathon with 30 obstacles. Um, and I'm doing it on my birthday in October. Uh, it's going to be sick. It's going to be so sick. Yeah. What else do you do? Like, do you, like, are you very conscious about how much sleep you have? What your diet's like? Are you very much like your productivity focused? I'm going to spend X amount of time here and then I'm going to recharge by doing this. Oh, um, should I be honest here? Um, Why not? <laughs> Dude, I have like 500 monthly listeners. This is not like the Joe Rogan experience. So it's all good. Oh, good. Um, no. Uh, so, yeah. Truthfully, I have terrible work hygiene, um, which is something I'm working on. But how I approach work is I will work, decide a whole bunch of stuff needs to get done. I'll work 16 hour days without breaks for two months straight and then have to sleep for a week. Um, right. Which is <laughs> very unsustainable, very unhealthy, very sort of um, up and down. Uh, but uh, I'm, I'm getting better. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> <laughs> Another personal question. Who do you look up to? inside and outside of industry to people? Possibly just because it's recent, um, but someone I've always um, been a big fan of is Carson Block, uh, who I saw the 
He runs Money Waters Research, famous short seller. He outed the Sino Forest fraud in Canada, which is why um, people know him around here. Um, but at Fraud Fest, he had he debated this academic about a specific paper. Um, but I've always been a huge fan. Uh, you know, he's someone who just he has a very low fucks budget. Um, he says what he's thinking all the time, very forceful. Um, <laughs> Sounds Italian. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely that vibe. Um, and I love it. I don't think that's necessarily, um, he describes himself as really high testosterone. Um, so maybe not, uh, my persona, uh, but, uh, Yeah, big fan. Okay, well, final question, because we are reapproaching time, but if you could change one thing about finance, what would it be? Finance culture. So many things. Uh, So one of the things that I find very frustrating with the discourse on FinTwit or financial Twitter is there's, and this is very specific to our, niche in in finance but there's a lot of frustration um with the auditor with the regulator um with these parties that are perceived to being you know they're supposed to be catching um things that are going wrong and reporting them to us uh but what i find amazing is you know auditors do catch things and they do report them in the form of material control weaknesses so saying that there was an error that was essentially caught by the auditor and or going concerned that they are reporting things and um you can see that you know stock price won't react for a period of you know six months but it is quite these these indicators are quite predictive on a long-term basis which right. means that essentially people are ignoring um are ignoring these indicators you know we see a whole bunch of um instances where a regulator regulator is investing but, you know, the market doesn't care. Um, so what I'd like to see in finance is people who are actually taking the time to um, become knowledgeable and understand uh, what's going on instead of expecting or blaming uh, an external party to make that happen. And we're trying to make that easier. Right. Could you, yeah. Is it that... Is that is it that transparent sometimes where your example that you just gave, there's a regulator, the SEC is looking into this company, X company, but you know, the biggest shareholder eh, doesn't care. It's just, you know, this will fly by. Like, are there a lot of instances of that? Or are these are you trying to find the anomalies that aren't random? But if they are found, by God, you can make a lot of money. From finding it. So, yeah, I, I, they're relatively common. I would say maybe um, seven to fifteen percent of the market has stuff like that that no one's paying attention to much, or they're not right. paying attention to for an extended period of time. Um, and that's not just like you know people listening to this or likely thinking that I'm talking about retail investors, 
Um, but that's not true. You know, we have sophisticated investors who email me going, you know, what is this and, and what does it mean? Um, so it's not right. just, it's not just retail. That's really cool. Okay. Where, if people want to, again, I know your products for more of the enterprise side, but if people want to follow you or get more involved in Bedrock, again, I think this is an awesome, awesome company. So how can people become part of Bedrock or just learn more about it? Yeah, we have a free Substack. Uh, just look for, uh, it's called Dirty Laundry, um, <laughs> <laughs> but it's bedrock.substack.com. Um, we do have, um, yeah, uh, you can find us on Twitter at, at Bedrock AI and on LinkedIn as well. Awesome. Okay, we'll leave it there. But again, Chris, thank you so much. This is round two. Hopefully, hopefully there's a round three at some point. I appreciate it. Thanks so much. This was so fun. <laughs>